Hello and welcome to The Forge. My name is James and this is the place where I teach verse by verse through the Bible. I am a retired U.S. Air Force Master Sergeant who went on to serve the Lord's Church as an assistant pastor, worship leader, and youth pastor. During my time in these roles, I finished seminary and I hold a Master of Arts in Biblical Studies and a Master of Divinity. I've been involved in ministry in some form for over 25 years, and it is my hope that this podcast will be a blessing to you as I teach from God's Word, the Bible. Forge exists to serve those whom the Holy Spirit is calling into a relationship with God through His Son, Jesus Christ. This is done through biblical teaching so that individuals understand God's forgiveness, live in its reality, and overcome the wounds caused by bondage to sin. I will always hold to the truth found in scriptures, and a summary of my doctrinal statement is worded perfectly in the five solas of the Reformation. I believe Christians experience gratefulness and renewed purpose as they are encouraged by the words of life, which spring from the Bible. I pray that this podcast plays a role in God's ongoing work in your life. Don't forget to look in the show notes for links to the podcast website where you can leave a donation or leave a voice message with questions. I will be collecting questions for a future Q&A podcast. Also, please leave a review on whatever platform you are using. That and telling others about this podcast are the two biggest things you can do for me. Now grab your Bible and get ready for a verse-by-verse study. May God bless the reading and the hearing of His Word. Hello, dear listeners. It's good to be back with you for another look into this amazing book of beginnings, the book of Genesis. We're going to be in Genesis chapter 26 in this study, and we're going to see what I like to call the like father, like son chapter, or at least um, there's a particular section in this chapter that you could call it that like father, like son. And as we get to that part of the narrative, see if you can find out why. I would come up with this title for this chapter, or more specifically, this particular section. Why do you think I would be led to such a title? So grab your Bible and read along with me as I read aloud the Word of God. There was a famine in the land, besides the first famine that was in the days of Abraham. And Isaac went to Abimelech, king of the Philistines, near Gaar. Then the Lord appeared to him and said, Do not go down to Egypt. Live in the land of which I shall tell you. Dwell in this land, and I will be with you and bless you. For to you and your descendants I give all these lands. And I will perform the oath which I swore to Abraham your father. And I will make your descendants multiply as the stars of heaven. I will give to your descendants all these lands, and in your seed 
all the nations of the earth shall be blessed. Because Abraham obeyed my voice and kept my charge, my commandments, my statutes, and my laws. So Isaac dwelt in Gerar. And the men of the place asked about his wife, and he said, She is my sister. For he was afraid to say she is my wife, because he thought, Lest the men of the place kill me for Rebekah, because she is beautiful to behold. Now it came to pass, when he had been there a long time, that Abimelech, king of the Philistines, looked through a window and saw, and there was Isaac, showing endearment to Rebekah, his wife. Then Abimelech called Isaac and said, Quite obviously, she is your wife. So how could you say she is my sister? And Isaac said to him, Because I said, Lest I die on account of her. And Abimelech said, What is this that you have done to us? One of the people might have soon lain with your wife, and you would have brought guilt on us So Abimelech charged all his people, saying, He who touches this man or his wife shall surely be put to death. Then Isaac sowed in that land and reaped in the same year a hundredfold, and the Lord blessed him. The man began to prosper and continued prospering until he became very prosperous. For he had possessions of flocks and possessions of herds and a great number of servants. So the Philistines envied him. Now the Philistines had stopped up all the wells which his father's servants had dug in the days of Abraham his father, and they had filled them with earth. And Abimelech said to Isaac, Go away from us, for you are much mightier than we. Then Isaac departed from there and pitched his tent in the valley of Gerar and dwelt there. And Isaac dug again the wells of water which they had dug in the days of Abraham his father, for the Philistines had stopped them up after the death of Abraham. And he called them by the names which his father had called them. Also Isaac's servants dug in the valley and found a well of running water there. But the herdsmen of Gaar quarreled with Isaac's herdsmen, saying, The water is ours. So he called the name of the well Essek because of the quarrel with him. Then they dug another well, and they quarreled over that one also. So he called the name Sitna. And he moved from there and dug another well, and they did not quarrel over it. So he called the name Rehoboth, because he said, Now the Lord has made room for us, and we shall be fruitful in the land. Then he went up from there to Beersheba, and the Lord appeared to him that same night and said, I am the God of your father, Abraham. Do not fear, for I am with you. I will bless you and multiply your descendants for my servant Abraham's sake. So he built an altar there and called on the name of the Lord. And he pitched his tent there, and there Isaac's servants dug a well. Then Abimelech came to him from Gaar with Ahazeth, one of his friends, and Fickle, the commander of his army. And Isaac said to them, Why have you come to me, since you hate me and have sent me away from you? But they said, We have certainly seen that the Lord is with you. 
So we let there now be an oath between us, between you and us, and let us make a covenant with you. That you will do us no harm since we have not touched you and since we have done nothing to you but good and have sent you away in peace. You are now the blessed of the Lord. So he made them a feast and they ate and drank. Then they arose early in the morning and swore an oath to one another. And Isaac sent them away and they departed from him in peace. It came to pass the same day that Isaac's servants came to him and told him about the well which they had dug and said to him, We have found water. So he called it Sheba. Therefore the name of the city is Beersheba to this day. When Esau was 40 years old, he took his wives, Judith, the daughter of Beri in the Hittite, and Basimath, the daughter of Elon the Hittite. And they were a grief of mind to Isaac and Rebekah. So I'd like to first say that uh, I apologize for some of my reading skills. You know, there are words here that we don't use every single day in the English language. And sometimes my tongue gets a little tied and I pronounce things maybe not perfectly. And sometimes I don't say things exactly the way it is written. So I have to stop and pause and find my place and correct myself. So what am I saying? I'm saying I'm human. And sometimes when you're reading the Bible out loud, it can be tricky. So uh, no matter how many times I rehearse it, I often make a mistake. So just get past it, get your Bible out, read it for yourself. Let's move on. We see here in these first six verses that Isaac is now included in the covenant promises. And we're really going to focus a lot on covenant in this chapter. Since the introduction of Abraham, we always knew that Isaac was going to be the son of promise. But here we see the prophecy commands and the promises they are directly linked to Isaac. In fact, we see yet again that the Lord appears. And I haven't done this yet, but I think it would be a really good study that I could do at some other time. But go back and count the number of theophanies that we find in the book of Genesis. And if you don't know what a theophany is, go back and re-listen or go listen for the first time to some of my other episodes and we talk about that word theophany. But when we compare these first six verses here in chapter 26 to chapter 12, verses 1 through 4, we find some similarities between them. The passage in chapter 12, of course, it's dealing with Abraham. And of course, we're looking here at God's promises to Abraham's son, Isaac. But examine what God says to Isaac. Now, he's talking to Isaac. Now, not Abraham. And he says, do not go down to Egypt. Live in the land which I shall tell you. He says, I will be with you and I will bless you for to you and your descendants. I give all these lands and I will perform the oath which I swore to Abraham, your father. And I will make your descendants multiply as the stars of the heaven. And I will give your descendants all these lands. And in your seed, all the nations of the earth shall be blessed. So you see, just as God had made a promise to Abraham, he now promises Isaac. 
And what's important for us to see here is the beginning of God establishing a covenant people for himself. And of course, we know because we can look back in time that God was setting Abraham apart and he is now setting Isaac apart. And we know that God was going to make Israel a great nation. We see the promise fulfilled ultimately in Jesus Christ, who is the seed of these promises. For those of you who have read ahead or you've studied Genesis before and you know that Isaac will not truly see the fulfillment of these promises in his lifetime, but he is looking forward to a future time. And his son Jacob is from where the nation of Israel will spring and flourish. And I bring this up to remind you that God works on his timetable, not on your timetable, not on my timetable. Abraham had physically died at this point. And I suppose if there were people that wanted to mock Abraham, they could say, hey, Abraham, didn't your God tell you you were going to be the father of a great nation? You're dead now. And you had one son, Isaac. Now, we know that Abraham had other sons with uh, other relationships, but the son of promise was with Sarah, Abraham's wife, and Isaac is the son of that promise. So that's hardly a, a great nation, Abraham. That's one son. And so what I want you to think about is that God is not bound to your timetable. He is not bound to my timetable. In fact, God, part of being God is that he is not bound by anything. He's not like us. He's not like a man. So let your mind meditate on that. He is beyond us. Now we can know things about him. For example, we're going to be talking about God's covenant, specifically his covenant of grace. We know that God deals with us in covenant. And we can know that about him and we can understand that about him. But the depths and the width and the breadth of God, the infinite, the one who is the eternal self-existent being who does not rely on you or me for anything. That is something that it's really beyond our comprehension. Because if you think about it, you and I, we are needy creatures. There are things that we need. Well, God doesn't need anything. That's part of being self-sufficient and eternal and infinite. But I want to pause here for a moment and talk to you about God's covenants. Specifically, I want to share with you about God's covenant of grace. And I'm going to read directly from the Reformation Study Bible, and I highly recommend this study Bible to you. It's packed full of solid theology. And here's what it says about God's covenant of grace. It says, covenants in Scripture are solemn agreements. They are negotiated or unilaterally imposed that bind the parties to each other in permanent, defined relationships with specific 
promises, claims, and obligations on both sides, e.g. the marriage covenant and Malachi 2.14. When God makes a covenant with his creatures, he alone establishes its terms. As his covenant with Noah and every living creature shows in Genesis 9.9, when Adam and Eve failed to obey the terms of the covenant of works, see Genesis 3.6, God did not destroy them, but he revealed his covenant of grace by promising a savior. Genesis 3.15 God's covenant rests on his promise, as is clear from his covenant with Abraham. He called Abraham to go to the land that he would give him and promised to bless him and all the families of the earth through him. Genesis 12, 1 through 3. Abraham heeded God's call because he believed God's promise. It was his faith in the promise that was credited to him for righteousness. Genesis 15, 6 and Romans 4, 18 through 22. God's covenant with Israel at Sinai is in the form of ancient Near Eastern treaties. These are covenants imposed unilaterally by a powerful king on a vassal king and a servant people. Although at Sinai required obedience to God's law under the threat of his curse, it was a continuation of the covenant of grace. Exodus 3.15, Deuteronomy 7.7 and 8, Deuteronomy 9.5 and 6. God gave the commandments to a people he had already redeemed and claimed. Exodus 19.4 and Exodus 20, verse 2. The gracious promise of God's covenant was further defined through the types and shadows of the law given to Moses. The failure of the Israelites to keep his covenant showed the need for a new covenant that would bestow the power to obey. God's covenant with Israel was preparation for the coming of God himself in the person of his son, to fulfill his promises, and to give substance to the shadows cast by the types. Isaiah 40.10, Malachi 3.1, John 1.14, and Hebrews chapter 7-10. through 10. Jesus Christ, the mediator of the new covenant, offered himself as the true and final sacrifice for sin. He obeyed the law perfectly, and as the second Adam, the second representative head of the human race, He became the inheritor with those united with him by faith of all the covenant blessings of peace and fellowship with God in his renewed creation. The temporary Old Testament arrangements for imparting those blessings became obsolete when what they anticipated was realized. So, as Hebrews 7 through 10 explains, through Christ, God inaugurated a better version of the one eternal covenant with sinners, a better covenant with a better promise, based on a better sacrifice, offered by a better high priest in a better sanctuary. And this better covenant guarantees a better hope than had ever been made explicit by the former version of the covenant. Glory with God in a better country that is a heavenly one. Pause. This is me speaking. I'm not reading at this point. I encourage you to read Hebrews chapter 7, 8, 9, and 10. 
to understand what this particular portion of the note is talking about. But it goes on to say this, the fulfillment of the old covenant in Christ opens the door of faith to the Gentiles, the offspring of Abraham, the community with which the covenant was made and redefined in Christ, the final and definitive offspring of Abraham, according to Galatians 3.16. Gentiles and Jews are united to Christ by faith, become Abraham's offspring in him. While no one outside of Christ can be in a saving covenant relationship with God, Romans 4, 9 through 17, Romans 11, 13 through 24. The goal of God's covenantal dealing is, as it has always been, the gathering and sanctifying of the covenant people from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, Revelation 7, 9, who will one day inhabit the new Jerusalem in a renewed world order, Revelation 21, verses 1 and 2. Here the covenant relationship will find its fullest expression. They will be his people and God himself will be with them as their God. Revelation 21.3, Genesis 17.7, and Exodus 29.45 and 46. Towards this goal, God's shaping of world events still moves. The covenant framework embraces the entire economy of God's sovereign grace. Christ's heavenly ministry continues to be that of the mediator of the new covenant, Hebrews 12, 24. Salvation is covenant salvation, regeneration, justification, adoption, and sanctification are covenant mercies. Election was God's choice of the members of his covenant community, the church. Baptism and the Lord's Supper corresponding to and replacing the old covenant rites of circumcision and Passover are covenant ordinances. God's law is covenant law, and keeping it is the truest expression of gratitude for covenant grace and loyalty to our covenant God. Covenanting with God in response to his covenanting with us should be a regular devotional exercise for all believers, both in private and at the Lord's table. An understanding of the covenant of grace guides us through and helps us to appreciate all the wonders of God's redeeming love. I tend to emphasize God's covenant promises because as we look at Scripture, we see that He relates to us through covenants. There is no higher name than his name by which a covenant can be made. And as I've already stated, God is not a man. He's not like us. And thus his promises, his covenants that he makes with his covenant people are secure. So moving on to verses 6 through 11, we get to the part that I've called the like father, like son chapter or section and see if it sounds familiar to you when you read it on your own time. Hopefully, as I was reading through it, it sounded familiar to you. I will give you a hint. Isaac and Rebecca do the same thing here that Abraham and Sarah did before. And you may remember that Abraham and Sarah had a prearranged story to tell if they came into an area and the men of that area wanted Sarah as a wife 
where they wanted her as part of the harem, Abraham would say that Sarah, his wife, was actually Sarah, his sister. And we've gone into this before, but we bring it up here again because of the similarities. And we bring it up here again because we're going through it verse by verse, and here's what we find. So we're going to talk about it. But there's a difference here. Even though there are similarities, there's a difference. Remember, it was God who showed Abimelech of Abraham's time that Abraham and Sarah were actually married. And here, in Isaac's time, the Abimelech here, actually for himself, he sees Isaac and Rebekah in a form of caressing or embracing. And the idea in Hebrew here is actually a play on words. Remember that Isaac means laughter or to laugh. And the Hebrew used here has an intensive participle meaning to laugh or to play. And so the thought here is that, yes, Isaac is showing affection to Rebecca, but they are touching in a loving way that would not be done with your sister. In other words, if Rebecca was a sister, there wouldn't be this kind of joking and laughing and touching going on. And often married couples have inside jokes. They have little things that they laugh about that no one would understand but them. And there is that touching and tenderness in the loving relationship shared between a husband and a wife. But here's the point of that. Even though Isaac and Rebecca had done wrong by lying about their relationship, God still uses them. And in fact, God blesses them. So remember that God can and will use people who are less than perfect. One of the things I love about reading the Bible is you read all about imperfect people. And yet, in God's providence and God's plan and God's forgiveness and his grace and his mercy, he uses them for his glorification anyway. He did it with them. He can do it with you. Now, do not misunderstand this as a green light to disobey God and still expect his blessing on your life. But you can be encouraged when you read these types of things in Scripture that when you do fail and you do fall into sin, God is not finished with you yet. He is still in control of your life and he can still and will still use you even if you made a mistake. So moving on to verses 12 through 33, we see that Isaac begins to prosper while he's staying there. He reaps a hundredfold, the Bible says. And this means that the weight of his crop was a hundred times greater than the seeds that he sowed. And it's important here to realize once again that this is not necessarily an exact number. It's a way of speaking. It's a way of saying that the crop was really, really, really great. It was an exceptionally good year. He's doing well. His return on the crop this year was amazing. You know, Isaac is getting rich at this point. He's amassing wealth. And there's an important thing to notice here. Remember, Abraham um, had given Isaac the inheritance. Now, he gave gifts to the other sons, but to Isaac, he gave 
the chief portion of his inheritance. And remember, Isaac was the first and only son born of Sarah. It's Isaac who is the child of promise. So we should expect that Isaac started off fairly well because he got a big boost from his father Abraham, who was doing quite well. But there's something much more going on here in the narrative. You see, God is the one who is now blessing Isaac. It doesn't say Abraham blessed Isaac with a big inheritance. No, it says that God blessed Abraham. So whatever this, I'm sorry, that God blessed Isaac. We're talking about Isaac here. So whatever the inheritance was from Abraham, it was only made better and only made greater by the blessing of God. So Isaac had flocks. He had a great household which would have included slaves, and he was envied by the Philistines. So as we read on, we find the Philistines drive Isaac out, and Abimelech asks Isaac to leave them. So we read about Isaac digging these wells. So he digs a well, ends up calling it Essek, which means strife, and it got that name because of the quarreling between the Philistines and his men. So he moves on, he digs yet another well, and this time another quarrel breaks out, and he calls in the name of that place Sitna, which means contention. So he's got strife, he's got contention. And so he moves on to a third location, and this time he digs another well, and this time the fighting stops. And Isaac calls the place Rehoboth, which means room for all. Room for all. And as we get toward the end of this section, we we see that Isaac finds himself at the well of the covenant or the well of the seven, which had been built in Beersheba by Abraham. You may remember when he made that covenant with the Philistines years ago. And the word Sheba here where it says Beersheba, Sheba actually means seventh. And so that's where you get the well of the seven. That might be a literal way that we could translate it into English. But here's where we find Isaac at the end of all these quarrels. He comes back to this well of the covenant. And perhaps Isaac returned to this place because... It felt special to him. We don't know. The scripture doesn't tell us. Maybe he came there to feel a little bit closer to God. We don't know. But here's what we do know based on scripture. We know that it seems like Isaac has drifted a little bit. Let's examine it. What do I mean by that? What do you mean by drifting? Well, for one thing, he's showing favoritism toward Esau. And Esau is not the one that God chose. Remember, God chose Jacob. Secondly, we know that he lied. We just talked about the lie that he told to Abimelech about Rebekah being his sister, not his wife. We might also notice that this is the first time in all of Scripture where we see Isaac building an altar. Perhaps this is an indication of where his relationship was with God. Once again, and now for the second time in this chapter, though, after Isaac builds this altar 
and he calls upon the name of the Lord, God appears this second time. And he reiterates to Isaac, listen, Isaac, all the promises that I made to Abraham, the covenant that I entered into with your father, I'm the God of the covenant. I will be keeping the promises. And they're all yours, Isaac. And I'm doing this for Abraham's sake. In other words, God is saying, listen, I have not forgotten. I didn't forget you, Isaac. I haven't forgotten Abraham, even though Abraham is no longer physically there in the picture. He's dead and gone. I didn't forget. You might also notice that in all of this, Isaac has simply left when he was asked to leave. He did not fight the Philistines. And perhaps his compliance, maybe he had developed a policy among his men and his servants, no fighting against the Philistines. We're not going to fight them. But whatever the cause was, they are here now. We get to verse 26. The Philistines are there. And Abimelech comes out with his friend and his chief captain, and they're going to negotiate a non-aggression treaty. And you almost can kind of get the picture here that Isaac is, you know, Isaac just could be at the end of his rope. Like, listen, you know, guys, um, (laughs) you, you told me to leave and I left and it looks like now you're following me out here again and you want to enter into a treaty with me. And here we find that word covenant coming up once again, you want to get into a covenant with me after you ran me out of town and I didn't even do anything guys. And notice that there's a claim here from the Philistines. And the claim is, well, we didn't do anything but act good toward you, Isaac. You know, really? I don't know that stopping up Isaac's father's, you know, father Abraham's wells and all that quarreling over the, really, it's water rights. I don't know if that's nothing. But nonetheless, that's what they say. We haven't done anything to you. Nonetheless, Isaac holds a feast and they enter into a covenant together and they decide we're not going to do harm to each other. I'm not going to do harm to you. You don't do harm to me and we're going to get along great. And they depart in peace. So here's the picture that we have of Isaac at this point in the developing story of God's redemption for his people. We're going to get to these last two verses these last two verses here, they really actually go very well with chapter 27. But as I've said before, I wasn't consulted on the division of uh, the Bible into chapter and verse. So we're going to go with the way it's written here. So these last two verses, keep in mind, we might even review them in the next episode when we get into chapter 27. But they're here in this chapter, so let's go ahead and briefly talk about them. Esau took wives from the Hittites, and these were not approved of by his parents. So just to kind of go through the family tree here once again, we have Abraham and Sarah. They have their son, Isaac. Isaac marries Rebekah, who comes from the same family 
the same clan, if you will, as Abraham. And so, in fact, Abraham's desire was specifically that Isaac, his son, was not to marry a woman from that land that they, remember, he sends his servant back away to the land of his family to find a wife there. And that's where Rebecca came from. But here we see um, Isaac and Rebecca, they have two sons. One is Esau, one is Jacob. And Esau here takes wives from the Hittites. And, you know, it makes for a very rough union when children insist upon a marriage and the parents do not approve. And as we're going to see later, these are not godly wives. And as it says here, it was a grief to Isaac and Rebekah. Now, why do you suppose it was a grief to Isaac and Rebekah? After all, as I've already pointed out, Jacob was the one that was chosen by God to be the father of what would eventually become the nation of Israel. In fact, in the book of Romans, it tells us very clearly that God had chosen Jacob before they were even born before they had ever done anything, God had chosen Jacob. And didn't we read that Rebekah loved Jacob and Isaac loved Esau? And here again, you know, so in other words, why would Rebekah care, right? Because she loved Jacob. Well, we see that while one was favored over the other by either of the parents, they still had love for the other. They just favored one. Esau favored or loved. I'm sorry. Uh, Isaac loved or favored Esau. And Rebekah loved or favored Jacob. And we should remember that even though Jacob was chosen by God, Esau still came from the same bloodline. In other words, what am I saying? I'm saying he was a member of the family. But we see here in Esau a desire to go after women who were not from within that family line, as both Isaac and Rebekah were. And apparently, for whatever reason, if there was an arrangement that had been made for Esau, at this point it's been disregarded, and he went after Hittite wives. Notice that's plural, not just one but two. So with this, we come to another episode end and some serious things to contemplate. First, I want you to notice that God is a covenant keeping God. Second, I want you to remember that God uses people who make mistakes. I have had discussions with people and one of the things that they would suggest to me is that well, the Bible can't be inspired because look at all these imperfect people. Look at the things that they did to each other. And I'm just reminded that the reason that those accounts are in there is because it shows us God uses imperfect people. God forgives. God has grace. God has mercy. And the scriptures reveal to us the evil heart that is in mankind. 
So don't think for one second that you are above the people that are recorded in scripture, like you would have done something different. No, dear friend, you have the heart (laughs) of a human being. You are flawed and you might have different flaws than someone else, but you do have your imperfections and God still uses people who make mistakes. Third thing, as you look at the life of Isaac, observe that though the fullness of the promise was not seen in Abraham's lifetime, remember that God operates on his own schedule. Well, why does he do it that way? Well, he does it for his own purpose, for his own glory. Remember that. Everything that God does is for the good of his people and for the glorification of himself. It is for your good and his glorification, dear Christian. So until the next time, dear Christian, may God bless you. again for listening to the forge podcast and don't forget to leave a review with comments let me hear from you leave a voice message through the link i hope and pray that you find ways to apply the truths of god's word in daily living remember dear christian you are forgiven it is by grace that you've been saved through faith May you grow in Christ in the study of the Bible and truly overcome wounds that were caused by sinful choices and actions of the past. I also pray that you are always reforming, seeking to glorify God in all that you say and do. Remember to be grateful to God for what he is working out not only in you but in all his creation as well. And lastly, be encouraged encouraged to serve God and others as you grow in Him.